Welcome to X-Rated Movies. Podcast by two guys who used to date and now they don't. I am one of your intrepid hosts, Ryan Whedon. And I am one of your brave and courageous hosts, Matthew Fisher. Hi, Matt. Hi, Ryan. So, we're getting a, a little bit of a late start tonight. A little, little maintenance issue, shall yeah. we say. Before I came over, you texted me, can you hold it back like 30 minutes? I have some maintenance people doing stuff in my apartment, which I just assumed was a euphemism <laughs> for some kind of hookup. Normally, you'd be right. <laughs> but no, in this instance, they were installing a new hot water heater. It took a little bit longer than they said. About three times longer than they said. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. I got a new water heater out of it. I'm not judging. There was an uncomfortable, I'd say, two hours of us just sitting <laughs> on the couch while they finish up the the installation. One of the people had had a lot of interesting ideas in regards to the uh, Mr. Rogers slash JFK assassination uh, connection. Yeah, which was a conspiracy theory that was new to me. Same here. As a big fan of the movie JFK, you'd think I would have heard them all by now. Yeah, they didn't mention that, as I remember. No, I think they left the the Mr. Rogers conspiracy theory out of it. Back and to the left. There was also um, a, an interesting theory that John Mooks Booth was gay and so was Abraham Lincoln, and that's why that assassination happened. Well, with Abraham Lincoln, I mean, there's a lot of, of talk, supposedly... Uh, fuck what the hell is his name he wrote like the normal heart or whatever oh i know who you're talking about yeah uh he supposedly has letters between abraham lincoln and uh, what's his name something frost i think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where they're professing their love but he refuses to release these to the public oh because yeah. he wrote them in crayon <laughs> <laughs> larry larry something larry kramer sure yeah, and they used to do this thing called, um, it's like a type of frottage where like you hold your legs together and then that makes the like... Right, they would fuck each other's thighs. Yeah, it's called, it has a name, right? That makes sense. I remember when that whole like those letters came out, people were like, this is new to, this, is, this has a word? I didn't know this was called something. When you're too scared for anal. <laughs> Taint rubbing. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln and his rom-com... Taint misbehaving. <laughs> I mean, I would watch the fuck out of a period piece uh, that really they just like scandalized fucked. that. <laughs> yeah. Who would play Abraham Lincoln? Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> All right. Who's our John Wilkes Booth? I, I don't know what John Wilkes Booth looks like. I don't either. He's got a mustache like he's going to, you know, race around the world in a balloon. <laughs> and that's the only thing that I can really think of. <laughs> That was big in the 1850s, right? <laughs> yeah. That's when all that balloon racing was going on. <laughs> but John Wilkes Booth, he was an actor. Like, he, he right. was big into that scene. Yeah. And so, we all know what actors are into. Acting. Acting. Performance. Reading lines. <laughs> More like reading between the lines. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I did say reading lines with a knowing look. To listeners out there. Yes, for our uh, vlog followers, <laughs> Ryan squinted his eyes and nodded suggestively. That was another thing I learned from the uh, this maintenance uh, odyssey that happened <laughs> while we were here. Uh, apparently, I like to think of it as a crusade. <laughs> apparently, people get paid to play video games on YouTube and people just pay them. Yeah. Like they're not even getting advertisers for it. People are just paying them to play video games and then they watch. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know the specifics of it. Cause I literally just found this out like an hour ago and I was playing Sudoku and I couldn't actually go look it up, but, uh, and you yeah. were like, how do I monetize this? <laughs> I just, I guess I just don't understand the modern economy. If you have a YouTube channel where you're getting paid to play video games, please contact us. Or write a book. I'll buy the book. Yeah. And you'll get a little scratch off that. Yeah. I just, I want to know those secrets. I don't, I just, it blows my mind. I had no idea that people were paying people to, I mean, I play video games. Should I just be trying <laughs> to monetize that? Uh, I guess. I, th- see, there's this whole new, like, digital economy. Like, uh, all right, Ryan, you're a, uh, young-ish with it person hey what's that you say (laughs) 
Can you explain to me what Bitcoin is? And where can I spend these Bitcoins? I don't know. I do know that there's... Bitcoin's just one of the more well-known ones of cryptocurrency. There's lots of them. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's as far as my knowledge goes. I have talked to people who are into financing, and they say, don't spend your money on cryptocurrencies. Invest in bonds. But I feel like that's something they've been saying since, you know, the war. <laughs> I just imagine you have your your financial advisor is just some old Civil War general <laughs> telling you to it's invest. John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> He's telling you to invest in Confederate futures. Yeah. that's why I had so many Confederate dollars when I went to the to the convalescence home. Now he's telling me to invest in bonds. I don't know. Is he really telling you to invest in bonds? Yeah. Which ones? I want to know. Just savings bonds. Like government-issued savings bonds? I think so. Oh, God. Now, well, okay, this is not a financial podcast, so please don't take financial advice from me. But this person who is currently in school studying financial stuff. Wait, your financial advisor is a student? Oh, yeah. He's like, I don't even, I'm not sure he's 21, actually. Julian, if you're listening, (laughs) this is for you. But yeah, he said invest in bonds. I mean, they're at they're they're normally at like a point something percentage oh, growth rate. Oh, the, the interest rate is really good. And right suddenly now. they've grown to like one point three percent or something like that. Okay, so. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, really, bonds aren't worth investing unless you got a lot of money, because that one point three percent is not going to really do you much. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. That's what my savings account is. <laughs> Yeah, well, my savings account is 1.35, so in a year from now, I'll have an extra nickel. <laughs> and you'll find that saving for your future is far more thrilling than any roller coaster. This has been Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is with Matt and Ryan. <laughs> Tune in next week for what we think about the penny. Private equity fund. <laughs> fi- <laughs> I do think we should get rid of pennies. Oh, yeah, fuck them. Why do we have them? They cost more money to make than they're actually worth. I went to New Zealand in 2003, and they were already done with pennies. Oh, Everything really? was rounded. Yeah, they were like, just it just rounded to the five. That was 15 years ago. <laughs> wow. I'm also totally okay with getting rid of $1 bills mm. and replacing them with, like, Sacagawea coins. I mean... That's going to really hurt the, uh, you know, dancer. Stripper. Yeah, the stripper. Or it'll help them because then you have to move up to fives. Either that or they're going to be walking around with a lot of coinage in their G-string. <laughs> I was going to say they're just going to have to add pockets to the thongs. <laughs> we can put it in there. And if you put enough in, it pulls it off. Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm ready to talk about today's movie. I am as well. Great. Before we do, yes, this is my first spritz ever. Um, I'm glad you're trying new things. And I immediately see the appeal. It's great. Because I've been sipping it as if it were water. Because it, it doesn't have a overly strong taste. This is our second glass. Yeah. And... Um, there's a full bottle of wine between the two. <laughs> yeah. And it's a really pleasant buzz, too. Yeah. Like, it's that buzz that you want to, like, just ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can. And I, I don't feel it ramping up. I just feel a, a nice, smooth, steady, forward momentum. I'm telling you. Spritzes. All the way. <sighs> Today's movie is the 1999... Black comedy slash satire election. And I chose this movie because I felt the need to just get a nice, solid movie that I felt is good, entertaining, makes you think, not too hard, not too soft, just like right there, right, right, solid movie you can depend on, one you can call to help you move, all that stuff. (laughs) And I was surprised on this watch just kind of how 
accurate it is <laughs> in how a lot oddly of ways. prescient it is yeah just really on the nose but i don't know i'm really curious about your thoughts this time around for you so the first time that i watched it was in 2015 so not terribly long ago and i didn't really care for it so much because i didn't i didn't know who to root for mm-hmm. i felt Miss Flick's blind ambition was sort of a, a turnoff as a character trait. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Mr. McAllister, uh, Matthew Broderick's character. I don't want to say he seemed mean for no reason, but, you know, trying to squash a young, hopeful girl's dreams is sort of villainous. Yeah. And then you have some rich brats. I mean, they're not brats, but they're definitely, like, spoiled, pampered, privileged white people. And... I'm fine with a movie with no likable characters, but I felt like the dynamic of the movie was asking for you to root for someone. Mm -hmm. And in this instance, it was like, it was asking me to root for people that I didn't want to. So then I just rooted for no one. Watching it this time, having seen an election cycle that played out (laughs) somewhat like this movie, I now feel that I can root for Tracy Flick. Yeah. And I don't like it, but I can too. Yeah. So because I have someone to root for, I, I do like it a little bit more than my original viewing mm-hmm. of it. Not a lot, a lot more, just because it seemed a little oddly prescient. And last week you you said that you weren't big on Alexander Payne movies because you felt they weren't cinematic. Yeah. Did you feel that this one felt still feels that way or was it a little more cinematic? I do. You? It's odd for me to kind of be for a movie and against a director. Mm -hmm. I don't think Alexander Payne really brought anything that any other director couldn't or wouldn't have to this movie. Mm -hmm. There's little flares, but there's not directorial touches, I I would say. Like, I can't see his fingerprints on it. You know, the freeze frame, like whenever he freezes on Tracy Flick's face. Yeah. It's always just choice to make her look as ugly as possible. (laughs) It's pretty good. I came into watching it this time around armed with the knowledge that you you might think that. And I almost feel like it's a little more cinematic than I thought it was before watching it for today. Okay. Because... There, it is subtle, though. It is a very subtle director's touch, and some of it may have been subconscious or completely unintentional, but I think there is a lot there that makes a case for him as a director. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's the obvious touches. Like, the, I mean, there there is too much voiceover in this movie. I'm going to go ahead and give you that. It was really annoying. Um, it is a you know, it's a way to swiftly tell the story, but it definitely got a little talky for my taste. But then I also was struggling to be like, well, how could you do this without the voiceover? I really like how everything is very real in an ugly way. Because a lot of times you can see things that are actually how the world looks and you can say this isn't cinematic because it's ugly. But like, you know, a lot of the United States really looks like what he shows. Like we see an actual Walgreens, you know? (laughs) We see like the hotel that they stay in, a godfather's pizza. And it's just like, it's not pretty places. Like a a suburban subdivision getting developed where there's like no trees, just houses and concrete, you know? Stuff like that makes for bad viewing. But, you know, that's accurate. I mean, it kind of does capture, say, a colorlessness of middle America a little bit. Like, uh, you know, his film Nebraska was in black and white. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why we call them the flyover states. I took a train once from Washington to Iowa. Oh. That's a long, (laughs) pictureless trek. Very flat. Very flat. And it was really just like wheat and like nothing else. But I mean, you think about like the movie Nebraska is shot in black and white. And then Bruce Springsteen's album cover for Nebraska is in black and white. And it's like. uh, Not much Yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, even, like, John Hughes movies, like Breakfast Club, at the beginning, like, when you see, like, the the exterior shots of the school, looked like the school in election. Just kind of drab and nondescript, generic high school. It's funny how, because when you think about it, schools are government buildings. Mm-hmm. Like, they're very function over form, you know? So, like, why bother making it pretty? They're very much, like, built with cinder blocks and glass and metal. 
and they're ugly. <laughs> and that's what we see in this movie, you know? It's not way, not pretty. <laughs> in a way, Matthew Broderick's character, Mr. McAllister, is that. Yeah. And he looks like they, they did a good job of giving him kind of ill-fitting clothes. And also his hair is off just enough to make you feel like, yeah, he seems very average person that you'd see. And that's not an insult to people, but it's just like it's not dressed up at all. He's not celebrified. Yeah, I I would say that the impression that you get after watching the character for a little bit, because, you know, the opening shot is like him working out on the football field and things like that, Mm -hmm. exercising, push-ups and you know, he showers before class, but like he goes to class and his hair is still wet. And you get the idea that, you know, he he's doing this exercise because it's, you know, the good worker bee thing to do. He's not doing it for physicality necessarily. Yeah. He's doing it because that's what, you know, good, hardworking people should exercise, that sort of thing. And I do really like that opening shot of the sprinkler because mm. before it even before we even see it for a good minute i'd say while they're showing all the like production companies releasing companies all we hear is the sound of the sprinkler i thought there was like something tapping in my apartment <laughs> it was i don't know i thought that was i i like that opening shot so i want to know when did matthew broderick become like the sad schlub <laughs> like he used to be like the fuckable bad boy like in ferris bueller day well, I think that that's it was this was an intentional choice by Broderick to do the flip side of Ferris Bueller. Mm. That was my impression was that he was like, "Oh, well now I get to be the teacher." Part I'd, of that. I'd be hard pressed. You find me a gay person out there that will watch Ferris Bueller and not think that he's a fun fuck. <laughs> and then you watch this movie and you're like, "Oh no, he probably wouldn't be." No, yeah. And it's not just him who looks just sort of like pedestrian. I really feel like his wife and Dave Novotny's wife no offense to them, but they just don't look like movie stars. They look like character actors, mm-hmm. which is great, but it just looks very, I don't know. This sounds terrible now. Now it sounds like I'm just judging the way they look. I mean, but... they look like people. They don't look like Hollywood actors and actresses. Yeah, there you go. Because, yeah, Matthew Broderick's cute. Married Sarah Jessica Parker, but you know, you wouldn't know it from this movie. No. Should we do a real fast synopsis? Uh, go for it, for yeah. for the people at home. The, there's an election at this high school for student body president. We've got Matthew Broderick, who is the engaged civics teacher. He's one of those uh, idealistic teachers that, you know, not that he's not making a difference, but really feels that he's making a yeah. difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we've got Reese Witherspoon, who is the... Uh, She's a real go-getter mm-hmm. and uh, really wants to be student body president, wants to go on to politics after high school, and is just, like, ready to, to jump in here. She's a regular Hillary Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> and then we've got basically two other narrators that we're kind of following around to lesser degrees. One is Paul, who Mr. McAllister talks into running against Tracy, because otherwise she was running unopposed. And uh, his sister, who is a budding lesbian who wants to who is running for president to get back at him for stealing her first girlfriend. Crush. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, she says at one point, she's like, it's not like I'm a lesbian or anything. I'm attracted to the person. It's just that all the people I've ever been attracted to happen to be girls. Honey, honey, <laughs> that's fine. You can say that in high sure. school, but, uh, you know, not that there aren't bisexual people out there, but bi is often the first stop on the train to gay town. <laughs> Choo-choo. <laughs> All these main characters in our story do something that you have to question at whether it's a moral dilemma or an ethical dilemma that they go through. And that's something that's like a theme throughout this movie. I mean, you'll notice that we find the answer to what ethics are, but the question as to what morals are is never actually answered in the movie. Yeah. Because uh, Tracy Flick is, is answering that question, but the bell rings and she's interrupted and... Mr. McAllister's like, all right, we'll pick it up there tomorrow. So we never get that answer to what are morals. Yeah. And I mean, just this is my understanding of ethics versus morals. Morals are your own personal beliefs on what's right right or wrong. And ethics is what society or some outside 
extrinsic force says is right or wrong. It's been a long time since I took an ethics class, so I'll just run with your definition okay. for the time being. <laughs> so that's I think that like with all those elements in play, I think that makes for pretty fun viewing as you're going along with this. And I actually like that there isn't somebody that we're rooting for. I like that everyone is sort of shaded in a way where they have a moral slash ethical choice and they make one and you're sort of allowed to judge either way if you think they're right or wrong. Well, because they all make the wrong decision ethically. Uh, Maybe not Paul. He seems a little too dumb. And I feel like he. But he has a moral decision when he votes. He's like looking at my own name on the ballot. I just, I don't know. I just felt like it's not right to vote for yourself. Okay, I didn't think about that part. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, but then, yeah, ethically, that's stupid. <laughs> Do yeah. just vote for yourself. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, someone during the 2016 election, someone brought it up. Like, do you think Hillary Clinton voted for Donald Trump? No. No. Why the fuck would she do that? <laughs> she worked way too hard. I was like, do you think Trump's in there voting for Hillary? No. Come on. That's bullshit. But yeah, so so all these characters go through that, and it's kind of interesting to see. Because, you know, Tracy at one point tears down a bunch of posters in a fit of rage because she's angry. Uh, and lies that she didn't tear them down. Um, so that's sort of a moral quandary for her at one point you know uh, mr McAllister changes the votes like his is the worst but like well he has a couple different moral transgressions yeah a just getting paul to run was sort of a transgression but you could argue that his transgression was to make sure that he didn't transgress in a worse way you mean sleeping with tracy yeah because it comes out fairly early on the movie i don't know if this is a spoiler alert she slept repeatedly with one of his colleagues yeah her pussy gets so wet you can't believe it i forgot about that line and when that cut happened this time around i was like oh yeah oh yeah and he's sort of worried that if they have to work too closely because he she'd be the student body president he's the civics instructor yeah that something might happen and the movie sort of makes it seem like she's kind of a seductress like it sort of hints that she's got this is a type of power for her a little bit because when she's after she brings the signatures to him and she's like i need you to check them now and she's like at his car and she's like when i win the presidency that means you and i are gonna be spending a lot of time together and i for one would really like that time to be harmonious and productive wouldn't you but the way she's like moving her fingers on his door I don't know. It's it's kind of ambiguous because I feel like that could be interpreted as Mr. McAllister's impression of what she's doing and also, like, this is what she's really doing. Well, the, the act of a teacher sleeping with a student, of course, is frowned upon. It's morally and ethically bad. But there's nothing about Tracy's character that makes me think that she could not consent to such a relationship, which makes me think that it's ethically wrong, but perhaps not morally wrong. Ooh, really? Well, it's morally wrong on Novotny's part because he's married and clearly does not have like a uh, monogamish thing going on with his wife. Yeah, okay. I mean, there's a power imbalance for sure, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel the way that at least the movie portrayed it that that was a defining feature of their relationship. Uh-huh. Uh, she was attracted to uh, an older man, but it wasn't necessarily... She wasn't coerced into it, I guess I, I should say. She was an equal party as as much as he was. And even later on, once everything's gone to shit and they're no longer seeing each other, she does talk about how she misses being able to talk to him and misses him around. Yeah. So do you interpret that as uh, a failing on Mr. McAllister's part, the like lust for her? And it wasn't, it was him like projecting onto her his lust for her, or was she really flirting with him? I, I would say that, yeah, it, it was definitely his projection. He knew that she slept with teachers or had in the past, not that she had a track record of sleeping with different teachers, but yeah. that she had slept with a teacher, a peer of his. Mm-hmm. So the idea that she could sleep with him was on the table in his mind. Yeah, I kind of feel that way too. I kind of feel like he's the sleazeball in that in that arena. Well, cause he gets the idea to get someone to run against Tracy mm-hmm. while watching porn. And it's a 
high school themed one. It's a quarterback and the teacher or a cheerleader. Crystal, what are you doing here in the boys' locker room? I come to see the star quarterback before the big game. But what if Coach Henderson walks in? Well, that's okay. I took care of him. I wonder if they made that porno for the movie or if that was a real porno. Me too. <laughs> I was wondering about that too. Uh. So yeah, he just kind of has this revelation that he needs to get Paul to run against Tracy while about to jack off. Yeah. So I don't know. The, yeah, I I feel like it's leaning more towards that he knows that if they work too closely together, then temptation might rear its ugly head. Sure. And Mr. McAllister is sort of presented as this morally and ethically good person until. Even though he, he like he's imagining fucking Tracy while he's fucking his wife. Do it, Tim. Fill me up. And his Mr. Novotny's uh, wife. wife. Oh Just God. Like Just like that. Oh yeah. He eventually does fuck Miss Novotny. I don't know her name off the top of my head. And he takes the same stance that Mr. Novotny took, which is like we're in love. <laughs> like this is I feel thrilled. This is okay. And affairs are i feel like less frowned upon than you know statutory rape sure kind of thing sure so it's sort of like you get into a different gray area you know it's like it's still the same thing like it's still cheating in through one lens it's still cheating but this time it's like it's not as bad of cheating somehow because it's an adult you know i thought that was an interesting moral gray area for him yeah because McAllister is cheating on his wife and they they're trying for a kid yeah so and like the- definitely spreading your seed elsewhere is frowned upon and Novotny they're separated the Novotnys are, are, are not living together anymore yeah so I mean really what makes it a gray area is that McAllister doesn't have permission to just go fuck someone yeah I wouldn't say that it's gray. I'd say that it was wrong, at least on McAllister's part. Like, and that the former Mrs. Novotny was friends with McAllister's wife. Mm-hmm. That also is problematic. I wouldn't go as far to say that it's immoral, but but it also seems like she instigates it. Well, she definitely does. Yeah, uh, and does n- never says no that we see. Well, McAllister like brings it up a little bit. Like they're passing that sleazy motel and he's like so what do you think should we get a room at first she's disgusted but then she's like no i want it yeah and then later they end up sleeping together and because she says when they pass the hotel like that's not funny but then like a couple days later she asked him to clean her drain out that's a euphemism i've ever heard (laughs) yeah i didn't think about that but totally and uh she comes in for a hug and it's a hug where she like rubs her mouth on his ear and it's like and then they end up you know fucking and it's just like she she wanted it oh yeah later because she backpedals later and she's like you took advantage of me it's like i don't think he did no (laughs) it really seemed like you were into it because then yeah and then once he gets in his car she gives him a kiss on the mouth and is like let's meet up later yeah so like she really submarines him (laughs) um i mean i'm not like on the side of mr McAllister necessarily but it is like you kind of screwed him (laughs) I don't know. That's another like gray area. Yeah, I, yeah. It, it it's a sticky situation. I'd say it's definitely in the wrong area of gray, but it's not like hard black wrong. I I got a big question for you. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> Would you give Chris Klein a Hummer? <laughs> um, in this movie? Yeah. I don't think so. No? I don't think so. Yeah, I wouldn't either. The hair is so is two nineties. The like dopiness is I don't know. James Duval's dopey with nineties hair and I you'd... know, but he's cool. <laughs> <laughs> he's I Paul mean, was the quarterback till he broke his leg, you I know, know. Hitting those hard slopes. <laughs> the funny thing is that like he seems genuinely nice. Yeah, he does. He really seems like he got swept into this whole thing and does not deserve to be there. Yeah, so, all right, if there is a parallel to perhaps a real-life election, 
it's definitely between Tracy and Paul. Tracy is Hillary Clinton. Yes, <laughs> she's and an up and comer. She's perhaps uh, to our eyes overly ambitious. Definitely uh, qualified. Yes, as as at least one person who was a successful president said, she is the most qualified person to ever run for the position in my lifetime. Yeah, <laughs> and then we've got Paul, who's popular. And has no civic experience, uh-huh. but his father is rich. Tracy has a whole spiel about this, so you should just cut in instead of us uh. talking about it. <laughs> you see, I believe in the voters. They understand that elections aren't just popularity contests. They know this country was built by people just like me who work very hard and don't have everything handed to them on a silver spoon. Not like some rich kids who everybody likes because their fathers own Metzler cement and give them trucks on their 16th birthday and throw them big parties all the time. No, they don't ever have to work for anything. They think they can just all of a sudden, one day, out of the blue, waltz right in with no qualifications whatsoever and try to take away what other people have worked for very, very hard their entire lives. No, didn't bother me at all. And you know what? He illustrates that really well in the speech part of it i don't know <laughs> when he's it. just like but is our school everything it could be i want our school to reach its true potential that's why i'm running for president i love that scene so much because tracy gives her speech first and the way she's filmed and the way he makes it so that in the background all you see is people watching her she's she looks like somebody who's campaigning mm-hmm. you know like we've seen campaign videos that look like this and then he films he allows paul to be filmed in the same way and the funny thing is that like he look he doesn't look ready for the job at all whereas like she looks poised looks prepared you know it, lo- it looks like an ad for any kind of person running for any kind of office and he looks awful his speech is crummy but like you know still gets applause and then we get his sister afterwards and she's not filmed that way no. she's filmed straight on you just see her and the junk of the gym behind her, you know, you sort of get why everyone gets excited when she's like, fuck this. Cause if you are a person who's actually in that gym watching this, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing like the nets and the, the ugly like bears they've got up in the gym. And it doesn't look like a real election, you know? So even though I don't agree with let's burn it all down, fuck everything as a platform, I I do somewhat understand why people kind of get it fired up about it. Well, caught in high school, nothing was worse than having to go to a, a fucking assembly. No, Jesus, especially one where it's just like student body. Yeah. I did love that the vice president guy was running unopposed. Oh, the <laughs> the guy in the wheelchair. Yeah, a vote for Trace Slavin is a vote for good government, and even if I can't really stand up for you, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Who'd want to run against him? I mean, you'd have to have some real balls. That's what I mean by, like, it's subtle, the director's touches. It, it is subtle. Like, I'm not saying that Alexander Payne has, n- like, no sense of visual style. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that's necessarily where he thrives. Like, his strengths are eliciting great performances. Mm. And then I feel like the visuals are sort of secondary yeah. to what the actors are doing. And it's just something that I always feel about his movies because most of his movies have this intergenerational conflict, I guess I'll say. There's always something between like old and young or or old and older. They never really outline exactly why Mr. McAllister seems to hate Tracy, but he does seem to hate her and he wants to like hate fuck her. Kind of like in Basic Instinct. (laughs) This is my erotic thriller choice. Surprise. But he's attracted to her, but you also get the sense that he actually kind of resents her. Yeah. And I think it's because he knows, unlike his other students who might go on to do, might have accomplishments or, you know, of their own, Tracy really feels like she's going to go on to do great things. She thinks she's special. She thinks she's strong. She uses these words to describe herself. But I think Mr. McAllister 
thinks that that's true, and I think he kind of resents her potential. I think he mm-hmm. wants his students to go on to have modest accomplishments, and I think because he knows that she's going to do great things, and that perhaps maybe even that she's a little bit smarter than him, mm-hmm. he resents that. Yeah. So he doesn't want her to have that stepping stone of student body president. Yeah. And I think that's why in the scene where he fucks with the votes, I don't think that's a moral dilemma for him. To me, that seems like an ethical choice. He's not conflicted personally. He's like, she needs to be taken down. But he also feels like he's doing it for like a greater good. Yeah. She needs to be taken down a notch. Definitely. And he has the power to do that. And he feels like this, this choice is an ethical choice on his part. That's my opinion. I think uh, you could argue differently, but that's kind of what I feel. They, they never address it in the movie, but he definitely gives off the uh, idea that he's not doing this for personal gain. Like, I mean, he, he really has nothing to gain from her losing the election. Yeah. But he just feels like she needs to get knocked down a peg a yeah. little bit. And why, it's, we're not totally sure. Who knew how high she would climb in life? How many people would suffer because of her? I had to stop her. Now. We still sort of sympathize with Mr. McAllister. Like, we understand that he does, and we're sort of on board with him a little bit. When I say that there's no one to root for, I'm not necessarily rooting against Mr. McAllister. I will say I was a little bit more on this viewing than on my first one. This time around, I was like, she's just an idealistic young girl, and you have to shit all over her. Yeah. He does feel a little like a bully. Yeah. She has that speech at the beginning. It's like, you know, this is what happens when you try and tamper with fate. You can't interfere with destiny. That's why it's destiny. And if you try to interfere, the same thing's just going to happen anyway. And you'll just suffer. Well, see, that brings me to an interesting point. You mentioned destiny. And this viewing for me, I noticed a lot of the destiny slash God references that are in this. How they all pray at the end of the There's movie that before the election. Scene. Yeah. And then also sort of the way things are shot, too, because there's the scene when he's in the car and she's tapping on the on the window that I, that I mentioned earlier. And then as she gets done talking to him, she stands up and it's almost like a hero shot. Like she, he's looking up to her. Okay. And then later when Paul gets introduced, he says, Sometimes you can search everywhere for answers. Then one day destiny just walks up and taps you on the shoulder. I know because it happened to me. And then he turns around and he's looking up. Mm-hmm. And then... Later, when those prayer scenes are happening, just before everybody starts praying, we get the shot of Mr. McAllister being ejected from his house, and it turns into that, like, God shot looking down. Okay. So there's, like, shots of people looking up, and then shots of people looking down. And I'm curious how you feel about that representation of destiny and God in this movie. I mean, you make valid points, but he plays with it so much that there's no... He doesn't do it in a way that I feel like one character has power over the other mm-hmm. uh, or that one character has an upper hand because mm-hmm. I feel like it alternates enough that everything's sort of still up for grabs almost or that it's ambiguous as to who has the power because there's that scene when Mr. McAllister is interrogating Tracy yeah. about the posters being ripped down. And when she kind of plays her card, the blackmail card, the camera's facing down on her. Right. But this is like when she's getting the upper hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's hard to say. He might be, you know, doing the inverse of what the audience is expecting. But she in these is moments. morally wrong at that point. She is, but she's getting the upper hand on Mr. McAllister. She's yeah. forcing him to retreat. It's interesting. I. Do have to go to bat for Reese Witherspoon. Oh, my God. Yeah, we haven't even talked about that. She's so good in this movie. She's really good in this. It's a great performance. And I don't know what made me sort of check out on it the first time that I watched this. But watching it this time, like, she's just like little things. Like, the way her hips might 
lock into place when she's walking or like little faces of exuberance. I love the part when uh, Paul sets up his sign me up for president thing and then he starts trying to explain what Mr. McAllister was saying about the fruit stuff and she just just like this like confused look like what the fuck are you even talking about anymore? (laughs) It's good. I looked at her past roles for this podcast and the only things I think I knew her from were Fear and Cruel Intentions and I think those are the Mm. only two movies I really knew her from before this one came out but um yeah she nails it she's she's so good I mean I can't think of many movies that she's in that I really care for Mm -hmm. but kind of made me realize like no she's got some chops she's got some real talent she's gone more into the producing realm now yeah and one of the first movies that her production company produced was Gone Girl. Right. And I'm like, good job. Well, that's the focus of the production company is to have movies with strong female leads. Yeah, but, you know, you hear strong female leads and you think nine to five or something. <laughs> Don't you dare badmouth <laughs> nine to five in my presence. Uh, all right. What, what was that Dolly Parton movie where she's like a radio show host? Straight talk? <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking more straight talk or something. Okay. Um, like how I had that on the tip of my tongue? <laughs> but the idea that like they did uh, Gone Girl and then like, she mentioned that speech and it was before it actually came out, but uh, Big Little Lies was one that was coming out. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, no, these are like real stories. Like yeah. these are like good things to produce. So yeah. I don't know. It, knowing about Reese Witherspoon, like what she actually thinks about like female roles in film mm-hmm. and then like seeing her performance here i'm like there's more to her than just a pretty face like she she like has a craft to her and that makes me wonder a little bit how do you feel that women are treated in this movie i mean it's pretty poorly you think poorly yeah because it uh, always feels like they're using their sexuality to get what they need you know like there's yeah the the, the girl who was sleeping with uh tammy the little sister or making out with her or whatever like hurts her by being like i'm gonna go blow her brother you know and then like she ends up screwing him and like saying i'm gonna go fuck your friend mm-hmm. after that and it's sort of like that's a real negative portrayal there and then you know Mrs. Novotny is a little problematic too. Yeah. And Tracy's not like perfect either. She's she a... she's not her sexuality it could be construed one way or the other whether she's using it. Mhm. I personally think that she wasn't though. When I watched the movie, I didn't pick up a lot on her being like the seductress. She might use her her ability to flirt, but I don't think she ever actually like did sexual acts as like a power grab. Do you think she did later in life? Like she realized she could? I'm going to go with no. Mm. I didn't pick that up in her. Like that just didn't seem in her uh, ethical or moral wheelhouse. Mm. Um, Even though she didn't have a moral problem with lying about tearing down the posters? You don't n- think that reflects on her character? Not that that was a moral act, but I don't think it was an indication of greater things. Because the idea that I got when she's... Are you rip- from Alabama or something? <laughs> when she was ripping down the posters, it seems like an act of impulse. Okay. Not an act of judgment. There's nothing about that scene that makes me think that she ran through the pros and cons of these actions in her head. Mm-hmm. And made a, a judgment call. Mm-hmm. I feel like she got fed up and this is how she acted out. And that, then she just had to go with the results. Right. Uh, but then she lied about it. That's. Hey. I don't have a problem. The climb with to the, the top is a greasy pole. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a problem with her tearing down posters on impulse. She's a teenager. She's full of hormones. She definitely. I agree with you. I think she acted on impulse. I think my problem lies with the fact that she then lied about it like if she had come clean hey, if and you're just gonna said, make an omelet and you know once you've crossed that line what what i guess what is the the uh morality of coming clean then who wins if she just told the truth i mean at least then she she can be honest and be true to herself and is that a victory for anyone do you really think the student body would be better if Paul were president? No, God, and nobody cares anyway. 
I mean, let's be real. Student body president like has no real authority. No, no, no. But, and don't get me wrong. Tracy should absolutely have won. <laughs> like, I think she needs to be president, and I'm glad she was. I just, you know, her moral uh, stability needs to be called into question if she lied about this thing. And then what is the lesson she learned from that moving forward? Because she definitely went on to do things in government. Like, did she not learn that, like, as long as I lie and cover it up well enough, everything's okay? What's next? Is she going to use a private email server? (laughs) I mean... (laughs) At least, at least she she stood up to eleven hours of questioning. <laughs> it really seemed like Tracy got a little defensive and was gonna cave. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but like this is the stuff that this movie dredges up that I think is fun to think about. We can judge however we it want, is, but I like to think about putting this the movie under the microscope as ter- in terms of like morals and ethics is a little bit more fun than just I'd say watching the movie. Yeah, talking about this movie is more fun than watching the movie. <laughs> what did you think of the bee sting? Jesus. Oh, fuck. You could make the argument that that's sort of like, quote unquote, God getting back, or destiny getting back at him. See, I thought it was like the mark of Cain. Yeah, okay. That like he had done something bad and he had this like physical mark to externalize the internal grief that had bestruck him oh and it looked nasty and it didn't go away i know <laughs> uh, also like isn't part of the mark of cain like it didn't heal oh is it i don't yeah, know yeah i think so god we're going to religious territory again <laughs> there's a lot of god in this movie <laughs> so uh there's the sister whose name i can't remember tammy and she has this uh little lezzy relationship with uh lisa i think is her name tammy and lisa love it they did that experiment with asparagus. Oh my god, I have the same name. We had so much fun together. Like the time we ate a bunch of asparagus to see how long it takes before your pee smells funny. So can we do that? Right now? Well, like maybe the next podcast. Can we eat a bunch of asparagus like at the beginning of the recording, drink a whole bunch of water, and then sniff each other's pee at the end of the podcast <laughs> and see if it already smells? Great. <laughs> yes. Good. All right. I'll buy the asparagus. Um, whose favorite fruit is pears? <laughs> There's, I feel like the window for ripe pears is almost smaller than peaches. <laughs> like you buy them rock hard and then you bring them home and you're like, well, these will ripen up. And then if you don't get them in the hour that they are perfectly ripe, they're mushy and grainy and disgusting. I also feel like you eat one pear. You're good for like at least six months yeah who wants another pair after having one like maybe if you work it into like a salad or something or i don't know you put pears in like stuffing i don't know i just i can't see someone picking pear as their favorite fruit <laughs> apple that's fine i get it sure they're plentiful there's a big variety of them you might think apples were pretty good even if you got a rotten one once in a while but like if your choice is like pear or mango it's like choosing figs and potatoes now clearly you're now, gonna hold on. potatoes <laughs> because hold you'd be a, a mad woman to choose something else well i think at this point i just have to take the pear stance <laughs> oh yeah you're gonna be defending big pear over there no this is the pear is the fruit of the people clearly mango is in the pocket of big fruit i'm sorry mango in the right climate is plentiful. Uh-huh. Pears are like trying to get pandas to mate in captivity. <laughs> pandas, that just means they have to struggle. But that just means they're salt of the earth, these trees, <laughs> trying as hard as they can to produce what fruit they can. One single grainy, mushy fruit. God. We'd all be better off without them. <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm having trouble arguing for pandas. <laughs> You got apples, you got oranges, you got mangoes, you got strawberries. Seedless grapes. (laughs) I mean, really, even your melons are better than pears. Oh, my God. You know, I went to the melon cafe recently. (laughs) 
I had the best honeydew cantaloupe skewer. It was so good. I feel like we've covered this. I think, yeah, I think we went through the, the highs and lows of this movie. What, uh, what have you got in store for us next week, man? Next week, it's a movie that I, I'm pretty sure you've seen. Okay. Uh, but it's one that it's been like 10 years since I've seen it, so I'm itching to sit oh, and slide. I'm very curious. <laughs> yeah, next week we're going to be doing a David Cronenberg movie. A little movie called Crash. Yes! This has been on my list since the beginning. Okay, I, I, I have not watched this since like 2007, 2008, right around then. I've been thinking a lot about Holly Hunter lately too, so this is great. It's weird because the last thing I saw her in was broadcast news. <laughs> You're just knocking off directors and erotic thrillers this season. Hey, you know, two birds, man. I mean, there's a reason why these are my favorite directors. It's because Paul Verhoeven, David Cronenberg, they all kind of work in elements of adult eroticism in their movies. Yeah. We talked about this, but I love it when directors like play with genre, like mm-hmm. great directors, like pick a genre film and then make it their own. I do too. Cool. Yeah. I'm just going to make liberal use of that uh, uh, Dave Matthews band song. <laughs> <laughs> Look forward to that. And also Asparagus P. <laughs> All right, we're going to plug our junk and get out of here. Yes, please. Follow us on Twitter at X Rated Movies. And hey, if you're, uh, you got a subscription service you're listening to us on, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, why don't you go on over there right this moment, give us a couple stars or five um, and, and a review. We'd love that. Leave us some love. Yeah. Follow us on Facebook at Rated X Movies. That's when we put up what's coming out next and if you're not morally opposed to it or ethically opposed to it you can send us an email at x.rated.movies at gmail.com and if you're at all curious about what we've done in the past go to our website xratedmovies.com you'll see literally everything <laughs> naked full frontals full backles we've got nothing to hide there yeah that is not a stunt double <laughs> No butt doubles on our site. <laughs> Though you do get double butts. <laughs> we done here? Yeah, let's get out of here. All right. We'll see you next week with Crash. The David Cronenberg, not the horrible Academy Award winner from <laughs> 2005. Bye. Bye. Bye.